0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of season 3 of Ignite the Flame Audio. So glad to have you here. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. The good thing about season 3 is that it has no continuity with season 1 and season 2. So if you're new to this audiobook series, be sure to head on back to the first episode of season 3 because the story that's being read to you, in this case Abattoir Black, it's a standalone novel so it doesn't continue in the same line of storytelling as the first and the second season and if you enjoy what you hear during the course of this season I would encourage you to go back and listen to season one and two in that order because the books that are read to you are in chronological order and hopefully you'll enjoy them as much as you enjoy this season. For those of you who are just joining us what we do is we read a chapter to you and then we go into a section known as the origin of ideas section where we discuss the ideas that have been trade, within that chapter, sort of break it down, give you almost like a director's cut from a movie, but for the chapter that's been read to you. Then we go into a section known as Tips of the Trade, where we discuss, as it says, Tips of the Trade, for those of you who are aspiring to be authors, or those of you who are already authors just looking for that little bit extra. Of course, as we've mentioned before, during the course of this season, there is a disclaimer involved. Throughout the course of this entire season, there is a lot of reference to high levels of gore, so I would encourage... That if you are below the age of 12, if you're a younger listener, I would encourage you not to listen to this particular season as it contains references to content that I believe is not appropriate for anyone below the age of 12. And for those of you who are more mature listeners, I would encourage you that if you are in the vicinity, if you're close or nearby to anybody who is around that age range, I would encourage you to do the mature thing, pop your headphones in or make sure they're out of earshot so that they're not subject to the content, which otherwise may cause them to be upset or end up with nightmares. And that's obviously not what we want. So I just encourage you to do the right thing. If you're not of that age range, this really isn't the season for you. If you are a more mature listener and you've got people around you that are that age, encourage them to leave the room, encourage them not to listen or pop your headphones in, and we can make sure that they're kept safe. Okay, that pretty much sums it up. So let's go ahead and get into it. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. Abattoir Black, Chapter 3. They're watching us. Officer Raymond, once a proud officer of the law, now outwitted by the local people, or so he thought... How could I have been such a fool? I turned my back on this conspiracy for one moment, but it must be more than one person who is trying to hide this. No one can move all those bodies and clean up all the evidence. Unless? He digs into the ground like an animal, using his large hands to uncover what he knew was only inches beneath him. He removes the soil and clay, unearthing the bodies, as blood pools into the excavated holes, drenching each even further. I knew it. Someone has covered these on purpose, but with what? There's no machinery here at all, is there? Raymond gets to his feet, and he begins to inspect the area, searching for the device that had confounded him in front of his peers, hoping, praying for an answer to be revealed by finding a machine, whose intention was it to cloud the truth. His searching turned to frantic motions, "'tearing structures to their foundations before the locals arrived to calm Raymond, "'again from the rage that consumed his every action. "'Stop that! Have you gone mad?' they said. "'Pin him down for his own safety!' cried Mildred Morrison, "'as she directed the other residents where to seize and to hold Raymond on the ground. "'Hold him down!' she exclaimed. "'This is for your own good, officer!' shouted the families in unison. As the men pinned him down, he overcame his strength, and he struggled to contain the anger that surged within him. Officer Raymond flailed his arms, and he struck several men in his deluded state. His eyes rolled back into his head, and his mouth began to open wide, cursing all those around him.
1: "'Officer, you have found it. We have seen the bodies. We will vouch for it on your behalf,'
0: cried Tucker as the men lifted a bucket of water to pour over Officer Raymond's head, drenching him in crimson. They were trying to help him to recover from his manic state. As Raymond calmed down and began to regain his sanity, he cleared the water out of his eyes and exclaimed, All of you are together in this, and I will find evidence to arrest you all. Get him inside the house and wrap him in some warm, dry clothing. It looks like the fever is causing him to hallucinate said Jim Thamesbury, securing Raymond's legs as he spoke, nodding for others to grab his upper torso and to drag him backwards. Let go of me! You've all covered up the bodies to make me look like a fool! All of you! Eustace Morrison struck Officer Raymond and rendered him unconscious. His head bent back as if it were a prize trophy. With mouth agape and hair falling from his shoulders to the ground, Officer Raymond woke up inside the house wrapped in an old towel and clasping a warm cup of tea, its steam caressing his nose back into colour, and calming the jitters that continued to overwhelm him. Uh, Where am I? Raymond asked. You are safe, officer. You just have a slight fever, is all. Daphne Ottoman informed him as she added milk to his tea, smiling as she turned toward the kitchen sink. Did I dishonour myself? Raymond asked. No, officer. Just startled us with your false accusations. But that is to be expected. This case has you stumped, but I'm sure that you will solve it and leave. Sooner than you think, Daphne whispered. I can't trust anyone on this farm. It seems that everyone is against me, Raymond exclaimed, paranoid. We are a close-knit town here at Wraith's Creek, Officer Raymond, and don't take too kindly to accusations being thrown at our own. Of course, we will defend them, Daphne explained. So you buried the bodies? Raymond accused. No, officer. We had all gathered in the town hall to decide how to help you and came up with the suggestion that each one of us should confirm our respective alibis and perhaps aid you further in your investigation. More than one pair of eyes might help you to discover the evidence you seek. Daphne offered. That is not necessary, Miss Otterman. I appreciate your views and your offer, but justice must be served and I can't have the murderer helping to perhaps cover his or her own tracks. Raymond cautioned. I understand, officer, but I assure you that none of us killed those people. None of us, Daphne insisted. I wish that I could believe you. Really, I do. But the truth is hidden, and I need to find it, or else more of your own could be killed. Have you considered that, Miss Otterman? Raymond asked. No, I guess I had not. Daphne can If you wish to help me, leave me to confirm your alibis myself, and then stay out of my way during this investigation. Do I make myself clear? Raymond asked. Crystal clear, officer. Don't say that we didn't try to help, she said, as she stormed out, taking perhaps the last hope of solving the case with her. Officer Raymond covered his head with his hands, and pondered all that had happened, the way they had offered to help. What if she was right? and none of the townsfolk had hidden the corpses. What if they didn't do the cover-up? What if? Raymond lifted himself up and moved toward the door. He realized that he was overhearing a shattered conversation between the townsfolk on how to help with the investigation, and to attempt to find out who was responsible. Before a decision could be made, Officer Raymond entered the porch and fired his sidearm into the sky, alerting all to his presence. Sheathing his weapon, he stated to each of them in turn, Leave this investigation alone. You are all suspects until I deem you innocent. So do not help me. Do not interfere. Just leave. If you really want to help, then just leave me alone. All of them threw him discontented looks and began to leave. They had been banished from their own land in the wake of this supremacist. However, little did Officer Raymond realize that they had their own intentions. Now to check on those alibis and see if they hold water in this case. At this stage, I would welcome an early exit. As Officer Raymond placed his hat on top of his head, and began to walk toward his vehicle, he was hoping for the town to accept him one final time. His wheels dragged across the dirt and flicked stones into a swirling mass of debris behind his car, destroying the road and the rear of the car in the process. The first job was to check the alibis of the Morrison family, as they moved around the town, which now faced him with a shroud of darkness as if to reveal everything, yet somehow hide the truth. The car came to a grinding halt just outside the bank, with the sign above it, suspended by chains and pillars. It was raised above the ground on a stone foundation. The bank protected the modest wealth that the town possessed. As the door swung wide open, Officer Raymond summoned the bank clerk from his barrier of steel bars. A small, well-groomed man of about forty years of age, with lightly greased hair, to reduce the effect of his balding head, dressed in the finest black and white attire, with gloves to match, stretched his arms and adjusted his waistcoat, before asking,
2: "'Hello there, sir. May I help you?'
0: "'Yes. I'm an officer of the law, and I'm in the middle of an investigation,' Raymond announced, producing his badge as though to boast his authority over a complete stranger.
2: "'Yes, I can see that. How may I be of assistance, officer?' The clerk asked. Do you know of a family by the name of Morrison? Raymond asked. Ah, yes, of course. Wonderful couple with their son Tucker. Yes, they were in here just yesterday, in fact. The clerk recalls. How about ten years ago? Raymond inquired. Well, I must admit, even my memory does not stand the test of time. Let's look in the records, shall we? He said as he withdrew from the bars and hid behind files and drawers,
0: next to a large wall lined with pictures of a financial nature.
2: Ah, yes, here we are. September 1918. Yes, the Morrisons made a payment transaction and withdrew funds for a week's worth of rations in order to attend the local market. Something about pig trotters, if I remember correctly. The clerk confirmed. Thank you, sir. I'll be on my way
0: now. ''Where is the local market?'' Raymond asked.
2: No, oh, just down the street, officer. You can't miss it. But I don't know whether they will remember the Morrisons from that long ago. We were in the grip of war, you know,'' the clerk said,
0: patronizingly. ''Yes, I am well aware of that. But only just. The war has only just begun, sir.'' Raymond remarked.
2: ''Another war, officer?'' ''No.'' That was the war to end all wars, was it not?
0: The clerk naively asked. We can agree to disagree, sir. There will be war. The one of which I speak is a town-wide war. People trying to hide their secrets, and it's a war I'm going to win, if you'll excuse me. As Officer Raymond excused himself from the bank and began to trek toward the local market to confirm what he had been told, Increasing his pace, Officer Raymond distanced himself from everyone around him, not trusting anyone in the choir of deception. Approaching a butcher with blood-stained apparel and meat cleaver in hand, he addressed the plump, sweat-covered man with black, slicked-back hair. Excuse me there. Yes. What do you wish to buy, sir? The butcher replied. I'm not interested. I'm not buying anything. Actually, I was wondering if I could ask you a couple of questions. Raymond inquired. Very well. What is it you wish to know? The butcher asked, continuing to carve meat and hang it in blatant disregard of the officer's attention. Do the Morrison family frequent this shop often? Raymond asked. No, not as much now. During the war they did, always buying pig trotters, But since then, they've fallen out of favour with customers. Um, We no longer sell them, you see. The butcher explained. Yes, I understand. So the Morrisons could have been here ten years ago, you say? Raymond theorized. It's very likely that they were. Anything else? The butcher asked, impatiently. No, that will be all, thank you. Can you point me in the direction of the floral store? Raymond asked. Uh, Certainly. Just behind you, although it hasn't seen a customer in years. The butcher replied, well, perhaps today will be different. As Officer Raymond attempts to turn, almost catching the leg of the table on which meat was being skewered, alerting the butcher to his intentions and causing him to pull the table leg too, to avoid calamity. Watch out, officer. You could have ruined my place of business. The butcher said snidely. Apologies, sir. Raymond responds. Yes, I'm sure. The butcher grunts as he turns in discouragement. The floral shop was covered in dust with dead and decaying plants in the opaque windows, covered in mould, the paint peeling and the sign barely hanging on its brackets. The bell rings as Raymond walks inside, and upon looking, a shady old woman appears from behind the counter with her hair draped over her face and wrinkled hands, creeping around a table towards him. "'Hello there. I am Officer Raymond, investigating a murder, and I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions.'
1: But of course, my dear officer, come closer and let me see your face. Ah, yes, a handsome face indeed.
0: As she raises her hand toward his head, smoothing his cheek. Well then, officer, what do you wish to ask? She muttered. The Morrisons. Heard of them? Raymond asked.
1: Yes, of course. My best customers at one time. But since the war, business has waned somewhat.
0: She continued. "'Yes, I see. But why let this place fall into disrepair?' Raymond asked.
1: "'What is the point in conserving anything when you know it is
0: doomed to
1: fail?'
0: she asked. "'I see. Ten years ago, the Morrisons were regulars of yours?' Raymond suggested.
1: "'Oh, yes, indeed, Officer. None more devoted. I often enjoyed our little conversations on how Tucker was doing at school.' and the war turning in our favor, despite the eight and a half million souls lost to it.
0: She said dismally. Yes, uh, tragic events, which I will bet drew a tear even to God's eye, ma'am," Raymond replied.
1: Certainly, officer. A sad moment indeed, one which will be remembered for years to come, I would wager it.
0: She declared. Indeed. Well, thank you for your help. I greatly appreciate it. Raymond said.
1: Well, thank you for stopping by, and perhaps you will be a loyal customer yet?
0: She wondered. Perhaps. Have a good day. He takes his leave, pondering how an out-of-business flower shop managed to keep going, minus rent. So many questions with alibis confirmed, perhaps Daphne had been right. But one thing was certain. Officer Raymond still didn't trust anyone in Wraith's Creek. Returning to the street, he sees the grocery store across the road and hastens to confirm another alibi for the Morrisons, because of their full day. But something didn't feel right. It was almost as if his attention was being diverted away from something, and the people were busy covering up evidence. Officer Raymond shook his head violently, attempting to shun paranoia from his mind, relying on his training to see this case to the bitter end. Upon entering the grocery store, silence falls and all life halts. As he paused for inspection, Every move seemed slowed down to the pace of a glacier. Hello there. I'm Officer Raymond and I was hoping to ask you a few questions with regards to a case I'm attempting to solve. He asked. I know why you're here, officer. The constable was in here earlier and said to say nothing if you came in. Something to do with a lack of jurisdiction? A worker said. Fine then. I'll be on my way. I have enough to confirm the Morrison's alibis anyway. Raymond retorted. "'Where are you going now?' the worker asked. "'The post office, to post a letter if that's all right with you people!' Raymond retorted, storming out of the store and jogging toward the post office, heeding Officer Chaplin's threat to silence his efforts for good. The post office appeared to be in need of repair, with the sign barely hanging from its chains and windows boarded up against local acts of vandalism. "'Hello there. Could I post this letter to Scotland Yard in London, please?' Raymond asked. Of course, sir, that will be our standard fee, followed by a first-class fee. Prices are on the wall to to your right there. The desk clerk gestured. Ah, yes, I see, thank you. Have a good day. Raymond wished the worker. And you, 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 officer. With that short meeting over with, Raymond got into his car speeding from the town to avoid being caught by the authorities who could put an end to his case with the snap of a finger. As Raymond drives on toward the local sawmill, young Samson appears at the verge, covered head to toe in blood, flagging down Officer Raymond. "'Oh, my God! Samson! What happened?' Raymond shouted. "'I... I can't remember, sir,' Samson stammered. "'Get in now! I'm taking you home! Come on!' Amidst a large dust cloud... His car tires rip across the road, tearing a path straight to the Ottoman household for Samson to obtain medical attention. Now, stay awake, Samson, and try to tell me exactly what happened. Raymond ordered. Well, sir, I was walking in the woods when I saw an officer hiding something behind a bush. It looked like a body. Or it could have been a bag of some sort, I guess. Samson reported. Do you know exactly which officer? Raymond asked. No, sir. But he had a constable's hat on, Samson recalled. Good work, Samson. Go on. Raymond coaxed. After that, I was hit in the back of the head and woke up half-buried. Covered in blood, Samson recollected. Did you inform the police? Raymond asked. How could I? I saw them burying bodies and later me. Samson cried hysterically. So, do you trust me? Samson answered. I don't have a choice. You seem to be the only one who isn't trying to hide something in this place. Raymond agreed. You've noticed it as well? Samson responded. Of course. Plotting and gossiping as soon as your back is turned? They're probably all in it together. Raymond suggested. Not so much. The Morrison's alibis check out, and I'm awaiting confirmation for the Thamesbury's. Raymond admits. So it's just the Ottomans now. Samson probed. Yes, your family. Samson replied, They are not my family. Raymond cried, I'm sorry, I I didn't know. Samson defended himself. I'm adopted, sir. Or did you not notice the difference in eye color? Raymond confronted him. Well, you would be amazed at what genetic variation can do. Samson replied, You have no idea, sir. Raymond added, Well... Would you like to tell me where you were on the night in question? Why? I found her body. Why would I return to raise the alarm if I had killed her? Samson confessed. I suppose you're right. Sorry, Samson. I don't know who I can trust. Much like you. Raymond confided. Then trust me, sir. And I will trust you. Deal? Raymond agreed. Deal. Deal. He shakes hands with the only member of Race Creek worthy of his approval. He said, The day grows short, and it will soon be dark. We better get you home as soon as possible. Officer Raymond witnessed Samson asleep, leaning against the side of his vehicle, and cushioned by his seat and the window alike. They continued to the house, and, after dropping Samson into the care of the Ottomans once more, he decided to return to farmland for one last search, especially of the woodlands, now a key part of this town-wide cover-up. Or so he thought. Upon returning to farmland, there was a strange occurrence in the northern paddock. Like a trick of the light, a herd of cattle had appeared and were roaming throughout the grounds, trampling all the vegetation in their path with no sign of anyone looking after them. What the heck is going on? Officer Raymond proclaimed, confused, asking himself where they had come from. The car drew to a halt just in front of the paddock. The cattle gazed at him, surveying him as he passed each one with its own individual stare, sizing him up as if to contend with him for their land. But as Officer Raymond moved towards the fence, he realized something interesting, which would soon become very clear indeed. Your eyes are all bloodshot. Why is that, I wonder? said Raymond, as he reached towards their heads. They moved in a shunting motion, avoiding contact, lest it hurt them then regrouping only a few meters away looking upon him with that stare once more who brought you here officer raymond asked expecting them to answer him as if it were a dream in which he would awaken any moment raymond singles out a lone cow now separated from the herd and calls it over reaching out his hand with the promise of grass but to no avail instead it begins to lick his fingers and eventually his arm knocking the grass to the ground Officer Raymond pulls his arm away, and the cow nears the fence, as if to pursue. Strange. Very strange. Definitely not afraid of humans, and not animal behavior either. Very strange, Raymond thought to himself. He places his hands upon his lips, and suddenly a cry emanates from behind the barn, and it sounded all too familiar. Officer Raymond, come quick! My God, come quick! shouted Daphne Ottoman. She ran towards him, leaping into his embrace and pulling him toward the rear of the barn. What is it? Miss Armin? Oh my god. Officer Raymond witnessed the constable hanging from a meat hook, chained to a post parallel to the roof of the barn, its point through his left eye and hooked through the skull. It protruded from the back and dangled his body from the orbit, his corpse lifeless, still twitched, sending Daphne into spells of dizziness and fainting. Blood began to pour from his mouth and nose, and still trickled from his head, the remains of his eye still visible on his cheek. My God! Set him down! Daphne commanded, trying to find a lever to use to lower him to the ground, so that he may be laid to rest in peace. As Officer Raymond finds the lever, he realizes a terrible truth. Clean? Wiped clean? Damn it! He raged. What is it? Daphne asked. The lever has been wiped of all evidence, fingerprints, and so on. Raymond noticed. Well, surely you have more evidence? Daphne inquired. That's not the point, Miss Otterman. It was evidence. Someone has gone out of their way to hide it. One of you, Raymond accused. You still won't trust us. Daphne slapped Officer Raymond across the face and ran out to the open fields, leaving him with more than just a stinging face, but with a conscience to match. Daphne, wait! Fine. Let's see what we can see. He pulled the lever and lowered the constable to reveal a shocking revelation. What is this? Marks resembling hooves? Officer Raymond looked toward the paddock, towards the cows, examining their feet. Every cow had dirt-covered hooves, with a slight tinge of red. But surely that couldn't be the case. Could it? Officer, what are you doing? I hear you've upset my wife. Mr. Ottoman complained. I apologize, Mr. Ottoman, but I can't believe that anyone else is responsible other than... Raymond begins. Us. Is that it? You still think it's us? Mr. Ottoman responded. Yes, all right, yes. What do you want me to say, Andrew? Raymond inquired. That's Mr. Otterman to you, and what's more, you stay away from my family, and especially young Samson. Is that clear? Andrew warned. Yes, Mr. Otterman, quite clear. But mark my words, I will solve this, no matter who is involved. Raymond responded. Well, I don't care who it is. I just wish that you would hurry up and find them so that you can get the hell out of here. This was a decent town until you arrived. Andrew stated. That's what I'm afraid of, sir. They parted ways, and Officer Raymond crouched close to the ground, looking at the ground and then towards the constable, attempting to establish the cause of death, trying to work out timing and position in relation to the weapon and all manner of other procedures which required more expert knowledge, ones which were not known to the killer. Or so he thought. As Officer Raymond began to carry the body to a clear area to examine it, the cattle began to follow him, They were interested in the kill, pushing and shoving one another out of the way, mooing intensely, as if to demand attention. What is it? Does this not scare you? Raymond asked. Soon after, they became violent and attempted to break the fence down, trying to get at Officer Raymond. He reached for his sidearm, which seemed to pacify their surge of aggression, and deter them, and they retreated to the far end of the paddock. That was weird, I must say. Officer Raymond sheathed his weapon, and they all reacted simultaneously to a command, herding them to a subsection opening into a separate compartment. As Officer Raymond gave chase, he realized that the cattle's compliance might be another distraction, and so he returned to the body, trying to salvage what little he can from it. Upon turning around, he noticed that the cattle had disappeared into a section which he had yet to explore, though what lay there, he would soon come to realize, was not for the faint of heart. Officer Raymond studied the constable's body in the growing light, determining any information which might incriminate any one of the multiple suspects. In a futile attempt to thin them down to a single culprit, he realized something. Eureka! It was definitely a cow's hoof that had delivered the series of marks, but it was not the instrument of killing that appeared to be blindingly obvious. (laughs) Uh, if you'll pardon the pun. I did not pardon such a twisted sense of humor but how was he to know I was listening? Meanwhile, the residents began to return, and to surround the lifeless body which now lay before them. It was irrefutable evidence that something weird and horrifying was happening in their once peaceful town. A darkness had been awakened, and people were being killed as a result. But on whom did the blame fall? In the eyes of the locals it was Officer Raymond, and to him it was a town-wide conspiracy. Each theory was ridiculous in its own right, But inevitably, myth and legend would give way to truth. Very well. I am tired of fighting. Someone is killing your people. Don't you care about that? Raymond asked. Of course we do. We just need to know how to convince you that none of us are guilty. The residents complained. I need to run a few tests, said Raymond. That will prove it one way or another. Then I can trust you. I apologize for my actions, but you can see the seriousness of this. Another person has been killed, and until I stop this psychopath, more will die. So what do you say we put our differences aside and work together to catch this mass murderer? As Officer Raymond extended his hands toward them, expecting nothing in return, the Thamesbury, Morrison, and Ottoman families came closer. They all reached out to him and grasped his hand, exclaiming, Truce, Officer Raymond. No. Tell us what we have to do, and we will do all in our power to help you bring this murderer to justice. No matter who it may be. And welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where we discuss the ideas that were expressed in the chapter that was read to you, basically how they came to be. So getting started off, we noticed that the themes that were touched upon in the case of paranoia and tension between the residents of Wraith's Creek and Officer Raymond, have been intensified to the point where they've actually come to a confrontation. Now, this is basically expressing the point that when you're building tension in your story, eventually it's going to come to a head. It's going to come to either a confrontation or where one side decides to back down. And we sort of experience both of those scenarios within this chapter. In the start of the chapter... We see that mass hysteria and paranoia consume Officer Raymond to the point where he's kicking and screaming and flailing his arms. And the residents of Race Creek try to calm him down, but he's convinced that this town is consumed by a conspiracy trying to make him look the fool. And so he further isolates himself. He pushes everybody away. But then toward the end of the chapter, he's more willing to give them a chance. He's willing to let bygones be bygones and sort of shake hands and say, right, okay, I can't do this without you. I need your help to solve this investigation. That sort of leads into the second point by telling them to leave him alone. It's sort of in the mid part of the chapter where they're all trying to discuss how best to go about helping him. And he turns around, he pulls his firearm out and he shoots it into the sky. And he says, you want to help me? Just leave me alone. Just leave me to do the investigation. And he quickly realises that that's the wrong thing to do. But it sort of shows as well the fact that everything he's done up to this point, he's tried asking the residents for help and their reaction has been, we don't want to help. We we don't want anything to do with the investigation. The town was a decent place before you arrived. And he sort of takes that attitude on board and turns around and says, okay, fine, you want it to be that way, then that's how it's going to be. The third point is the town seems to be in disrepair it seems to be in a state of ruins and yet there's no payment being made there's there's no demolition or anything along those lines and that's reflected by the people having slight oddities as well we are introduced to the town specifically the people in the town and we meet a collective of characters which are all unique in their own specific way but they sort of have an oddness about them it's almost like something's not quite right and again this ties in with the theme that we've been experiencing throughout this story the sense of the uncanny that something doesn't feel quite right and it's just another way that you can encourage that theme by having your town and the people of that town have something strange about them you know make the environment beg the question how are these buildings still there if they've fallen into disrepair if they can't pay the rent on a building in normal life, they would shut down. Other businesses would move in their place or it would be knocked down and reused. But it hasn't happened in this case. Why is that? It begs the question. So it encourages mystique about the area and also it contributes to the uncanny, as we've mentioned several times before during this book. The fourth point is sort of a historical reference because during this time, we notice that rations are still in place. And we're introduced to the fact that pig's trotters are still considered a delicacy. Now, the research from this comes from my great-grandparents because uh, they were alive during the times of the Second World War. My great-granddad actually fought during the Second World War in the Navy. And quite often I remember going round and he would tell us stories about what life was like. And pigstrotters was a reoccurring thing. The fact that even long after, you know, I think it was for something like 15 years after the end of the Second World War, rations were still in place because of how much financial debt the country was in, uh, for England that is, and you know, nothing went to waste. You know, this was a, a generation that nothing went to waste and people would often go down to the local market and they would ask for cuts of meat that you just wouldn't have in today's market. Now, you can still get these cuts of meat, to the best of my knowledge, but they're not specifically sought after at least not in england so we sort of pay tribute to that in having pigstrotters asked for specifically during this time when obviously rations were still in place and every cut of meat was valued the final point is that we're introduced to the animals of wraiths creek and their unnatural behavior now what we notice is that they're not afraid of humans these cattle are not afraid when officer raymond comes close to them At first, they're sort of weary. They sort of back off, they regroup and they stare at him from afar. But then he attempts to feed one with grass and it knocks it out of his hand and it starts licking his fingers and then licking his arm. And then it seeks to pursue him. And obviously, when they discover the body of the constable and he's moving it so that he can perform an examination, the cattle seem interested in the body instead of being dissuaded. Most normally, when animals are around death or they can sense death, They scatter in the opposite direction, even if they are domesticated. But these animals seem interested and they they want to pursue. And it gets to the point where they literally try bundling over each other, breaking down the fence. And Officer Raymond has to pull his gun out just to dissuade them. And he even says several times, he's like, their behavior is unnatural. It's not normal. They should be afraid of this. Are you not afraid that there's a body here? And it's an interesting introduction to the animals that will obviously be the main theme going forward in this book. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. Let's go ahead and get into the next one. And welcome to the tips of the trade section of this podcast. Basically, as it says, this is the section of the podcast where we discuss tips of the trade for those of you who are aspiring to be authors, or those of you who are already authors just looking for that little bit extra. So today, I thought we'd discuss the theme of continuity Now continuity takes many forms throughout your writing and it can be done throughout your story but also link across books as well and we're going to discuss each of them in turn. So the thing to remember with continuity, as you're going through a story, if you pay particular attention to certain details, they need to link across the length and breadth of the story. So for instance, if you have a particular section where, let's say, you're involving a weapon, if you know particularly how many bullets that weapon contains... It's good to have that continuity throughout the story. The same as if you're writing a murder mystery or a thriller and you have specific evidence leading to specific suspects, I would advise that you keep a tab on those specific details because even though it seems really specific, it seems like you'd have to be really picky to notice those kind of details. It's those details that just help for the immersion. It helps the reader to believe that this fictional world you're creating is somewhat set in real terms, despite the fact that it's made up. So little details like how many bullets would there be in a weapon and evidence linking up to specific suspects. And then at the end, when it's all revealed, those items are then linked to those suspects. And that's what is then determined for catching the killer. Those sorts of details your reader will appreciate because even when they've read through the story, if they haven't noticed those details before, It encourages them to go back through a second time and notice just how much work you've put into that story. And if they see that you've actually gone to the effort of making that much detail, they're going to appreciate your work a heck of a lot more, knowing that you're willing to pay that much close attention to these details in order to make your world feel as real as possible, despite it being fictional, to your readers. It's sort of going that extra mile for your readers, and it's something they will appreciate. That also continues across books as well. So if you have specific characters, whilst you can change the character's journey, the character's arc across novels, so for example, in the first book, you might have them discovering themselves as a character, and then in the second one, they sort of have a conflict of who they are. And then in the third novel, they've discovered that the path they were on before isn't quite the one they want to go to, and they decide to choose another one. Whatever it is, you can change arcs, and you can change characters' journeys throughout the story. But the character themselves, the little quirks that they have, the way that they react to situations, those sorts of things, you want to continue throughout the story. Because the most difficult thing, as we know in real life, is for people to change their mannerisms, people to change their quirks. If a person reacts to a situation by charging in like a bull in a china shop, they're going to do that constantly. They're going to continue to react like that to situations because it's really hard to change what you've grown so used to doing. It's almost like trying to change your nature, which is a really difficult thing to do. And even though it can happen, the more likely scenario is that that will take a long time. So if you are hoping to change the character's mannerisms, it would be over the course of a series of books. It wouldn't just be from book one to book two, and they've completely changed. They're a completely different person. Unless a long period of time has taken place between those two books, in which case, yes, you can then argue the point that they would have had enough time to change. So continuity is basically one of those things, like I said, where your readers will really appreciate it, whether you have it continue throughout a book or whether you have it continue over a series of books. These are the specific details that your readers will look for and they will appreciate going forward because, as I say, it shows that you are dedicated to your craft enough to go through and nitpick through these fine details, sort of go through your own manuscript with a fine tooth comb and noticing these details that would make an otherwise fictional world as real as possible. And it's something that your readers will appreciate. And it's something you can take pride in as well when you've actually finished your work, because you can look back on it and think to yourself, the time and the effort that I've put in, I've made it worth someone's effort. And that is rewarding in itself. Okay, that about wraps up for this section. And that sums it up for episode three. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Really means the world to us that you would take time out of your otherwise busy schedule to make us a part of it. Of course, we'll endeavor to include all the links to any of the references mentioned in the episode down below. So if there's any information that's been mentioned during the course of the episode that you're interested in, be sure to head on over to the links. Right now, we're just going to take some time, as we have been doing over the past couple of seasons, just to promote a project that's been done by a personal friend of mine, brandon taylor known as taylor's trades basically what this is is it's a middleman service sort of like a courier service that allows you to buy sell or trade safely across the entirety of england we'll include the links to brandon's various different sites on facebook instagram and twitter you'll find them in the links below He's delivered over £400,000 worth of goods already and has over a 1,000 references, the majority of which are positive reviews. And as we've mentioned before, he goes all across England, allowing you to buy, sell and trade goods completely safely with this middleman service. And this is done to promote community, as well as giving you the opportunity to buy, sell and trade your goods without having to worry about taking care of shipping and packaging those sorts of things yourself. What Brandon offers is a trusted courier service that allows you to buy, sell and trade your goods from one party to the next. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, be sure to head on over to those links and pop Brandon a message and I'm sure he'll be happy to hear from you. Okay guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. Whatever you're planning on doing today, as always, go ahead and smash it. Always try your best. Know that your best is always good enough. I hope you have a wonderful day and an even better week. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you next time.